Well, good morning, church. Merry Christmas to you. If you're our guest today, maybe you're here seeing family or you just decided to come join us for worship today, I'm really glad that you're here. You honor us by being here today. Like Brisha mentioned at the beginning, if you didn't grab a candle on your way in, a little electric candle, they're back there in those baskets. And so this would be fine. You can get up right now. I'm not offended. If you want to get up and grab a candle, that'd be great. Also, while you're doing that, grab the pieces of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. They, they come in a little container back there, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together at the end of my sermon, and then we're going to worship some more together. So I'm going to preach a little bit less today because there's so many good songs that we want to sing this morning. We just want to worship Christ our King today. So I'll preach a little less, we'll lead into communion, then we'll come back up here and finish in a time of worship together. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning, Luke 1 starting in verse 26. So if you've got a Bible and you want to go there, you can. If, if, you, if you brought a Bible and you don't know your way around, the New Testament's the second half of the Bible. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke. So it's the third book and the second half of the Bible in the New Testament. But if you don't have a Bible at all, don't worry about it because the words will be on the screen behind me. So let's go there. Luke 1, starting in verse 26. <clears throat> in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Let's pray as we jump in together. <clears throat> Lord, we give you all the glory. You are Lord most high. God, we give you great thanks that you shared your son with us. And that we know you because we have seen him. God, we give you thanks that he is light in our darkness and that by him we see everything else. To that end, God, would you now, through your word, show us what you would have us to see. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to start off by dimming the lights. Could we do that? We start that way. And you've got a candle in your hand. Don't light it just yet. So let's, let's dim the lights here in the room. And uh, I want you to get that candle ready. Well, let me set this up as, as we're preparing for that. The themes of light and darkness are universal. 
And that's because our experience, our daily experience is an experience of light and darkness, okay? Each and every day, from day to night, we experience that. But if you look at every other world religion, every other philosopher and thinker throughout time who has left a considerable mark on the world, nearly all of them, when they try to describe the world we're living in and the human condition in light of that world, they use the image of darkness. And that should stick with us. You know, as, as humans have tried to understand the world that we're navigating again and again, as they try to make sense of it, they say it's like being in the dark, where it is really hard to find your way around. You don't know which way is which. You don't know what's right or wrong. And many of you have probably felt that way in recent years. You know, it feels like our world's crazy. But Although there are things unique about this time, there is a lot that is just common throughout the history of mankind. That living in this world is hard and can feel like trying to make your way in the dark. And so every other world religion and every other great thinker has thought about the human goal. And nearly all of them have described it as a goal of finding light to navigate a world of darkness. That's it. And so let me tell you one of those stories and then compare it with the Jesus story. And I want you to see what makes Christianity different from all those other faiths, all those other thinkers, what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ good news. Plato, maybe that's a name you know, he was a philosopher and he lived before Jesus came to Mary so many years ago. He lived 375 years before that. And he wrote a lot of things, thought a lot of things, but one of those things we know of as Plato's Allegory of the Cave. Have you ever heard this story? He says, imagine the world like a deep, dark cave, again, in darkness. And he said, our human experience, our condition is like being chained, being a prisoner deep down in this cave, facing the back wall of the cave. And behind us, there's a fire that someone has lit, and we see on the wall of the cave in front of us just dim shadows. And because we have been there our whole lives, chained there in the darkness of the cave, we think that's all there is. That's reality. But he says, imagine that one of those guys breaks free from his chains, has the strength to do that, and then struggles through the darkness of the rest of the cave, finding his way this way, getting lost, turned around, but eventually through his struggle and his strength, he finds his way out of the darkness where to the light. And upon finding the light, he realizes this is what I've always wanted, this is what I've always needed, and by my strength and by my struggle, I have reached the light. And then he decides to return to his buddies and tell them about the light that is out here beyond the darkness. Okay. Compare that with this. This is John chapter 1 about Jesus. Listen to this. In him, Jesus was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Look here. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness. Okay, this is, what, this is what I want you to see that makes the Jesus story different than every other faith out there. Every other thinker like Plato and others. 
Plato said, to find the light in a dark world, you, through your strength and struggle, must escape through the darkness beyond it. And you can find that light. But the story of Jesus is that God sends light where? Into the darkness. Do you see the difference? Imagine it like this. Imagine two letters, a upper, or sorry, a lowercase n and a lowercase u, okay? Lowercase n and a lowercase u. Every other faith out there, the story is the story of a lowercase n. That is, through your struggle, through your strength, you might possibly escape the darkness and reach the light, and upon finding it, you have the freedom to bring it back to those in the dark. But it's all about you rising up to the light through the darkness and descending back to it. But the story of Jesus is that God, in his infinite favor, his infinite strength and power and choice, chooses to send the light down, the you, down into the darkness to bring you through and out of it. Do you see the difference? The point is that the light in our darkness that we have in Jesus Christ is the greatest testimony ever, that it is not based on your effort. It is not based on your strength or struggle but the presence of light in our world is simply the result of a gracious God's loving favor on us. Let me tell you another cave story. This one a little bit more contemporary. You remember the boys trapped in the cave in Thailand? It's one of my favorite stories because I was not in the cave. That's a story that captures the gospel and that those boys are in the cave and they're not getting out. It's pitch black, they're trapped by water. They have no hope of escape on their own. And then one moment after days and days in the dark, a light pops up in the water, right? And that light is ultimately going to be the light that changes the shape of that darkness and gets them out. And the point is that that light is only there in the darkness because somebody beyond that cave decided to send it in. And that changes everything. I mean, this is how the gospel is different from every other story out there. Every other story says it's about you. It's about your struggle. It's about your strength. in me. You can rise to achieve light in a dark world. And the story of Jesus is that God and his loving choice just decides to send you the light right here. And so why don't you flip on those candles? Flip them on. Flip them on. Hold them in your hand. It's pretty cool to see from up here. It's too bad you're not up here. Pretty cool to see. You might just hold that in your hand the rest of the time. You don't have to look at me. You might even look down at that candle and think about the light and darkness that is Jesus Christ. The story of Mary really affirms this vision of what the gospel is all about. Mary is a teenage girl. Um, she's poor. She says a few verses later that she's a humble servant, which is another way of saying that she's poor. She lives in Nazareth, which is not the center of the universe, Jerusalem. Nazareth is somewhere out in the sticks. She's not even married yet, which in that time and space, like crossing the threshold of marriage was a really important thing for a woman to have value and worth. It shouldn't be that way. I'm not saying that's how it should be. That's just how it was in the day. 
And so here's all these boxes that she has not checked. And she, she, the one who has not checked any boxes, she's sitting there one day and an angel shows up, Gabriel, and says to her, look at this, greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. That's it. That's the gospel. You, though you check no boxes, are favored by the Lord. And his desire is to come and be with you. Now, I'm not saying we're all Mary. Mary's Mary. And her story is really unique in history in so many ways. Um, I was reading in preparation for this sermon, I came across a, a quote from a guy, Sir Edwin Hoskins, and he said the, the arrival of Jesus the Christ into the world, the incarnation, God sent to become human. He said it is a, a dagger thrust into the weft of human history. And I read that and I thought, that sounds so smart. And then I had to look up what the word weft means. Anybody know what it means? It means like a garment or a tapestry um, or a blanket, something like that. And what he's saying is that you can imagine all of history is kind of this one uninterrupted garment with all the threads woven together, touching one another, basically everything the same throughout all of human history. And the coming of Jesus is like a dagger from the outside that just rips all that apart. Okay, it's totally unlike anything else in so many ways. In fact, his conception, he's, he's born to a virgin, is unlike, I'm going to guess, the way that you and I were born or conceived, right? It's different. Why is that? Well, a son of God is going to have to enter the world differently than a son of man is going to enter the world. That's why. Psalm 89 is one of the passages that many churches are reading today, and it's alluded to here by Gabriel the angel. And if you were to go back and read Psalm 89, Psalm 89 is a reflection on the promise that God makes to David that one of his children will be on the throne forever, one of his sons. And 13 times in 10 verses, God says in Psalm 89, I have and I will. Look at this. Uh, I have bestowed strength on my warrior. I have raised up my young man. I will appoint him to be my firstborn. I will maintain my love to him. I will establish his line forever. What Gabriel is saying is, Jesus, this light you now hold within you, Mary, he is God's emphatic, I have and I will. Jesus is what God is doing. He's not what you're doing, Mary. He's not what anyone else around you is doing. Jesus is what God has decided to do and is doing for you. Okay, so in that way, Jesus and Mary... This moment is unlike any other moment in our lives. But, here, but here's the one way. Here's the one way in which this moment is like every day of your life and every gospel moment since then. This is how it is. This woman, Mary, stands before the God of the universe who favors her for no reason of her own and offers to be with her. And she has the choice of whether to say yes or no. Look, look back with me here at verses 37 and 38. 37, Gabriel says, here's what God's gonna do. He's ready to give you a son. You're gonna name him Jesus. He's gonna be the son of God, the savior of the earth. And God's word, honey, will never fail. 
And the poet Malcolm Guy, he said, when I read that, I imagine this long pause between verses 37 and 38. 38 is her answer. Here she has gotten this news that the light of the world is going to come and be with her, change the darkness of her life, change the darkness of the world, and yet she gets to say yes or no. And she says, finally, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Man, like that's it. Isn't it something that the God of the universe favors you and I for no reason and could do what he, want, what he wants with us and chooses to send to us his son, Jesus, and yet lets you choose whether you want him or not? Isn't that something? One of my favorite moments in ministry is a baptism. And we had a baptism of a young girl, Cooper Dixon, in early service. It was beautiful. And they got a dad back here. Matt Wilson got baptized at the end of the service last week. Have you ever noticed in the baptistry that the one doing the baptism is the one that talks the most and is the one who does the most? Have you, have you noticed that? They're the one who introduces this person, talks about what they've studied with this person. They're the one who lowers them down into the water and raises, up, raises them up out of the water. The only thing the person being baptized ever says is an answer to the question, do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? And they say, what? Yes, I do. That's the gospel enacted before your very eyes. That God does Everything, all the heavy lifting, all the, all the speech, all the words come from him to you. He sends his son to you to be with you, to lower you into that water and to raise you up into a newness of life. It's the gospel enacted. And yet there is that one moment where you get the choice to say yes or to say no. Isn't that something? Years before this, God came and dwelt with another woman and her husband. This is Eve. You may remember that story. Our story begins with God saying, let there be what? Light. The world was awash with light. There was no darkness. God said, let there be light. And Eve lives in the light of God's presence. And yet she says no to that. And she rejects him rejects the light of the world. And according to legend, this is stories in First Enoch, if you've ever read Enoch before, according to legend, the angel that is stationed at Eden's gates, guarding us from re-entry into the light, you know who it was? Gabriel, according to legend. And here comes Gabriel to another woman saying, listen, you've got another shot. You've got another shot. In this world of darkness, God, just because he wants to and wants you, is ready to give you the light. All you got to do is say yes. And she does. She does. Church, all you got to do is say yes. All you got to do. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Let me read this as we do that. This is John 1, 11 to 13, about Jesus. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Listen to this. Yet to all who did receive him, 
to those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born just like Jesus, by God. That's what we remember when we take this meal together. As the one who came for us, died for us, and through that changed our lives from lives of darkness to light. May you remember that first moment you said yes to him and say yes again as you take his body and blood into yours. Let me pray over us. God, fill us with your son, Jesus. Be the light in our darkness and show us the way to go. We give you the greatest thanks, God, that not only did you send your son, but you didn't spare your son, but that he gave his life for us because you so love the world. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.